That was Revolution by Sandy and Richard Riccardi, which you can find on YouTube by searching for Sandy and Richard Riccardi or Revolution, Feel the Burn. And at the end of the program, we'll hear a song called Feel the Burn by Tim Hunter. Greetings and welcome back to Bernie 2016. This is an independent podcast established to follow and comment on Bernie Sanders' candidacy for President of the United States. This podcast is completely independent of any candidate, party, or PAC. If you want to reach out to me, send me a message at BernieUS2016 at gmail.com or follow me on Twitter at BernieUS2016. You can find out more about this podcast at the website Bernie-2016.com. And I'm recording this mere hours before the Iowa caucuses begin. It's February 1st. It is the first of many events where the people will go and make their wishes known for the nomination for the Democrats and for the Republicans. But even though I'm recording this hours before the Iowa caucuses even begin, coming up, I will have some Iowa caucus results for you. But first, from codygo.com, that is C-O-D-Y-G-O-U-G-H dot com. This piece by Cody Go. Today I read for maybe the 10,000th time an assertion that supporters of Bernie Sanders are unrealistic, that Bernie Sanders supporters will all be disappointed if they elect him because he won't be able to bring the change he is promising, that Bernie Sanders' policies will be, quote, just another example of Democrats making promises they can't keep, and so on and so forth. And I'd like to briefly dispel a misconception about people who support Bernie Sanders as the next president of the United States. We are not stupid. 
I've got a college education and a good job, and I'm guessing I'm not the only Sanders supporter who does. And guess what? I don't expect any of Bernie Sanders' major proposals to take effect in the next two, three, or possibly even four years. I don't support Bernie Sanders simply because I think he'll magically overturn Citizens United, fix our indisputably broken campaign finance reform, campaign finance system, legalize marijuana, eliminate privately owned prisons, pass single-payer health care system, crack down on Wall Street, or pass most of his other proposals within his first year in office. Allow me to let you in on a little secret. I, like presumably most Americans who support Bernie Sanders, do not expect miracles. What I do expect by electing Bernie Sanders is to have an honest president whom Americans can trust at all times to be completely sincere and who will work as hard as he can to represent the interests of the American people. By electing Bernie Sanders, I expect that the leader of our country will actually represent me and not just major corporations who are cutting him big checks. And no, I don't get the sense that Hillary Clinton possesses any of those qualities. Decidedly. And you know what? Maybe the political revolution Bernie Sanders keeps talking about won't happen. Maybe electing Bernie Sanders will put him in office for four years. Nothing productive will happen. And once his term is over, we'll be back to, quote, politics as usual and huge corporations like comcast and pharmaceuticals and insurance companies and huge financial institutions will go right back to doing whatever they want because hey they run things and they have money so who's going to stop them right but if bernie sanders is elected president then maybe just maybe things will change and that's worth a vote that's worth trying and if bernie sanders is elected president and this whole quote, political revolution thing we all keep talking about actually does happen, then think of the possibilities. We are at a point in our history when we, as citizens of this country, can legitimately make the United States of America the indisputable greatest country on earth. We have the rare opportunity to lead the world by example in showing what a government can do when it isn't corrupt and solely focused on making a handful of individuals disproportionately wealthy. That is what I'm voting for. I'm voting for the hope, the possibility that things will change realistically over time. And electing Bernie Sanders will send a clear message to corporations, to the media, to our current elected officials, and to anyone progressive who's thinking about running for office but doesn't believe in getting support, that enough is enough and that it's time to start listening to the public and not just to a boardroom full of campaign donors. And I am also one of those same Bernie Sanders supporters. I don't expect miracles. I don't expect the election of Bernie Sanders to be the end game of getting his proposals enacted. Um, As he always states, uh, it will take that political revolution. It will take millions of Americans rising up and demanding what we need from our government. It's how all major reforms happen. It's how the Civil Rights Act passed. It didn't pass because politicians or corporations or someone else decided this would be a great thing to have and we should and we should fight as politicians to make this happen. It happened because the people for years and years got beaten down, beaten up, and fought hard and eventually turned enough minds and won. 
That is how big change happens, not the incremental change where a uh, politician can get into office and then move something forward by agreeing with the opposite party and getting some really, really watered down um, legislation or worse, some of the legislation that came out of Bill Clinton's presidency was basically Republican legislation and maybe some incremental elements of that legislation were positive. But when you um, take a look at welfare reform that came out of Clinton, when you take a look at Don't Ask, Don't Tell that came from Clinton, the Defense of Marriage Act, the big uh, policies that came from the Clinton um, presidency were, by and large, policies that the Republicans supported and called for. So as I promised at the beginning of this episode, I have for you results from the Iowa caucuses. And the first one up is the results from the Iowa State Fair. This is the earliest faux caucus I could find results for. This is way back in 2015. I don't have the specific date. This was in like August, maybe in September of 2015. And on the Democratic side, in this poll result from the Iowa State Fair, Hillary Clinton won by with 49% to Bernie Sanders, 44%. So a five-point win for Hillary in the earliest poll that I found in my search for caucus results. That was way back when Bernie was still becoming known. He was a unknown entity still for a large portion of the population and the fair goers. On to the next one from uh, Facebook.com, the Iowa Youth Caucus page. And the Iowa Youth Caucus is run throughout Iowa. It's high school and middle school students participating in a caucus for the candidates that are running for president. And on the Democratic side from the Iowa Youth Caucus, Bernie Sanders took 53% of the votes, followed by Martin O'Malley at 24%, and Hillary Clinton at 15%. And on to our next caucus results. The next caucus we're going to take a look at is the Contender Card Caucus. You've probably never heard of the Contender Card Caucus because this is the first year the Contender Card Caucus has been held in Iowa. The Contender Card Caucus is the brainchild of Justin Robert Young and John Teasdale, who, along with Guts and Glory, developed the brand new game, The Contender. And being the uh, timing was just right for a card game based on political uh posturing and attacks and defense um they took their game 
out to Iowa, to Des Moines. They visited the offices in Des Moines of every candidate on the Republican and on the Democratic side to present them each with a copy of the game and take some photographs and get some press in the process. You can read a bit more about uh, their events at The Contender US. You can see their game and check out what is going on with it and how exactly it works. In addition, uh, just a side note, Justin Robert Young has his own, has a, a number of podcasts that he either produces or is part of. And one of those is a political podcast called Politics, Politics, Politics. And Justin comes across in his in his podcast as somewhere in between, if you merged a uh, political connoisseur with a announcer at a championship wrestling match, I think that you would get kind of the gist of Justin Robert Young's podcast, Politics, Politics, Politics. So the first ever Contender Card Caucus happened in Iowa, and members or, or participants in this caucus were given a corn kernel. Here are some details. In addition to visiting the campaigns, Young and Teasdale organized five Contender Card Caucus events in Des Moines. People who intended to caucus for one of the candidates played the game, and for each round that a pledged caucus goer won, a corn kernel was placed into the jar for that person's candidate. On Monday morning, with caucusing less than 12 hours away, Young and Teasdale counted the kernels. Bernie Sanders won, garnering 52% of the card caucus kernels. In celebration, Young and Teasdale brought a massive novelty check in the amount of 318.9 million American hearts and minds to Sanders' office. So once again, Bernie wins a caucus in a landslide in Iowa. And that is not the end of the caucus results. We have another stunning result from an additional caucus in Iowa. This caucus is a local tradition and a statewide tradition and it's probably uh, marginally a national tradition. This is the Iowa Coffee Bean Caucus from the Hamburg Inn number two. The official results have been released from the Iowa Coffee Bean Caucus 2016. Among the Democrats, Bernie Sanders got 4,680 votes, while Hillary Clinton got 2,163, and Martin O'Malley rounded it out with 301. So Bernie doubling the results of Hillary Clinton coming in at 66% of the votes for Bernie Sanders in the Iowa Coffee Bean Caucus. Exciting stuff coming out of Iowa. And these caucus results aren't over yet. There is yet another Iowa caucus to report on. And this this story comes from Environews.tv. 
At a model caucus event aptly named, quote, Climate Emergency Caucus, held Friday, January 29, at Central Campus High School, Bernie Sanders not only won, he flat out smoked the competition, leaving both Hillary Clinton and Martin O'Malley in the dust. It was explained to the audience that they would be participating in a hybrid caucus, a merging of the traditional forms of the Republican and Democratic caucus styles. Hence, crowd members were asked both to break into preference groups and then vote for which presidential candidate they felt would best defend the climate. Presidential candidates from both parties were invited to take part, but only three Democratic candidates heeded that request, while zero GOP candidates chose to participate or send representatives. Nevertheless, organizers put up signs indicating a preference group for all the unrepresented GOP candidates so attendance, so attendees could caucus for them if they so chose. Bernie Sanders gobbled up 67% of the vote by the time the night was over, bringing in a total of 80. Former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton finished a dismal second, tallying only 15 votes, while former Maryland Governor Martin O'Malley came in third with 13 votes. Twelve caucus goers reportedly wound up undecided, failing to cast a vote for any of the three. So there you have it, the results of the many Iowa caucuses. And in a mere few hours from now, after this podcast is done and finished and posted and probably before you actually listen to it, we will get some actual results from the official Iowa caucus. And I am greatly looking forward to it. So on to some other news. This piece from michaelmoore.com. My dear friends, when I was a child, they said there was no way this majority Protestant country of ours would ever elect a Catholic as president. And then John Fitzgerald Kennedy, Kennedy I do know how to pronounce Kennedy, was elected president. The next decade, they said America would not elect a president from the Deep South. The last person to do that on his own, not as a VP, was Zachary Taylor in 1849. And then we elected President Jimmy Carter. In 1980, they said voters would never elect a president who had been divorced and remarried. Way too religious of a country for that, they said. Welcome, President Ronald Reagan, 1981 to 1989. They said you could not get elected president if you had not served in the military. No one could remember when someone who hadn't served had been elected commander-in-chief or who had confessed to trying but not inhaling illegal drugs. President Bill Clinton, 1993 to 2001. And then finally, they said that there is no way the Democrats were going to win if they nominated a black man for president, a black man whose middle name was Hussein. America was still too racist for that. Don't do it, the people quietly warned each other. Boom. Do you ever wonder why the pundits, the political class, are always so sure that Americans, quote, just aren't ready for something? And then they're always just so wrong. They say these things because they want to protect the status quo. They don't want the boat rocked. They try to scare the average person into voting against their better judgment.
And now this year, they are claiming that there is no way a, quote, democratic socialist can get elected president of the United States. That is the main talking point coming now from the Hillary Clinton campaign office. But all the polls show that Bernie Sanders actually beating Donald Trump by twice as many votes than if Hillary Clinton was the candidate. Although the polls nationally show Hillary beating Bernie among Democrats, when the pollster includes all independents, then Sanders beats Trump two to one over what Clinton would do. The way the Clinton campaign has been red-baiting Sanders is unfortunate and tone-deaf. According to NBC, 43% of Iowa Dems identify themselves more closely with socialism than with capitalism. Most polls now show young adults across America prefer socialism, fairness, to capitalism, selfishness. So what is democratic socialism? It's having a true democracy where everyone has a seat at the table, where everyone has a voice, not just the rich. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary recently announced the most looked-up word in their online dictionary in 2015 was socialism. If you're under 49, the largest voting bloc, the days of the Cold War and commie pinkos and the Red Scare look as stupid as reefer madness. Hillary's biggest selling point as to why you should vote for her is, quote, Bernie's a socialist, or, quote, a socialist can't win. Then she's lost. The New York Times, which admitted it made up stories of weapons of mass destruction in Iraq and pushed us to invade that country, has now endorsed Hillary Clinton, the candidate who voted for the Iraq war. I thought the Times had apologized and reformed itself. What is going on here? Well, the Times likes its candidates to be realistic and pragmatic, and to them, that means Hillary Clinton. She doesn't want to break up the banks, doesn't want to bring back Glass-Steagall, and doesn't want to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour, doesn't want Denmark's free health care system. Just not realistic, I guess. Of course, there was a time when the media said it wasn't, quote, realistic to pass a constitutional amendment giving women the right to vote. They said it would never pass because only all-male legislators would be voting on it in the Congress and the state legislatures, and that obviously meant it would never pass. They were wrong. They once said that it wasn't realistic to pass a Civil Rights Act and a Voting Rights Act back-to-back. America just wasn't, quote, ready for it. Both passed in 64 and 65. Ten years ago, we were told gay marriage would never be the law of the land. Good thing we didn't listen to those who told us to be, quote, pragmatic. Hillary says Bernie's plans just aren't, quote, realistic or pragmatic. This week, she said, quote, single-payer health care will never, ever happen. Never? Ever? Wow. Why not just give up? Hillary also says it's not practical to offer free college for everyone. You can't get more practical than the Germans, and they're able to do it, as do many other countries. There are many good things about Hillary, but it's clear she is to the right of Obama and will move us backward, not forwards. This would be very sad. 81% of the electorate is either female, people of color, or young, 18 to 35. And the Republicans have lost the vast majority of 81% of the country. Whoever the Democrat is on the ballot come November will win. No one should vote out of fear. You should vote for whom you think best represents what you believe in. They want to scare you into thinking we'll lose with Sanders. 
The facts, the polls, scream just the opposite. We have a better chance with Bernie. And that was Michael Moore's endorsement of Bernie Sanders. And up next from the dailycause.com, a story published yesterday called Tomorrow I Caucus for Bernie Sanders, Here's Why, by Pikachu. Tomorrow I will be attending the Iowa caucus for Bernie Sanders. I support the senator because he is one of us. He is the one candidate who is not a millionaire and does not have a super PAC. He does not accept money from Wall Street. I respect the accomplishments of Hillary Clinton, but she is not going to represent the middle class while she is taking millions in contributions from Wall Street. Bernie will confront the inequities of a rigged system. Bernie will steer our nation away from the great lie of the Republican Party, starting telling in 1980 that tax cuts for the wealthy will make the economy better for us all. Bernie will confront the real challenges that face America's middle class. Bernie is genuine. He has had the same message and supported the same positions throughout his political career. He does not look at the latest polls to determine what he needs to say about an issue. America has been on the wrong track since 1980, when extreme right-wing radicals started to take over the Republican Party, and they've hurt the American people with bad policies that are not founded in reality. The Democratic establishment, best exemplified by Hillary Clinton and Debbie Wasserman Schultz, has not offered the people a viable alternative, and they have been timid about standing for the progressive values of FDR, that are the core values of the party. The proposition that the answer to America's challenges is to cut government, roll back regulations, and let the free market govern everything is a miserable falsity that is unsupported by evidence or fact. Look at Flint, Michigan. The answer is not less government. The answer is better government. A government of the people, by the people, and for the people. There is only one candidate who at his core represents this ideal, and that is Bernie Sanders. I am privileged to support him. I have two children in their 20s, and their future depends on breaking the current cycle of politics as usual, constantly favoring the wealthy and big business over the real interests of our people, and ignoring pressing issues like global climate change and the deteriorating infrastructure in favor of corporate profits and lower taxes for the wealthy. The press is telling us we can't have real substantive change. It is too hard. Unfortunately, we no longer have journalists who report the facts. But we have a 24-hours news industry who feels compelled to tell us what we should think, as defined by the corporatists who own that industry. It is time to end the cycle of government by the few for the few, and Bernie Sanders is our best hope to end the reign of special interests in America, American politics. Bernie represents the change America needs. So there's been a very interesting turn of events in the Democratic race for the nomination. As we've talked about here before and has been reported somewhat well in the press, um, the Democratic National Committee has scheduled very, very few debates for the candidates on the Democratic side. It scheduled those debates on times where it would absolutely get the least amount of attention and viewership. 
And this is pretty well uh, accepted by most people, um, a ploy to support the Hillary Clinton campaign as she came into the race as the clear front runner um, was uh, widely regarded as inevitable that it would be a coronation for Hillary Clinton because she was so well known um, when he launched his campaign. Very few people really knew who Bernie Sanders was and even fewer knew who Martin O'Malley was. And then there was uh, Lincoln Chafee and Jim, Jim Webb, none of whom were very well known outside of their home states. So the interesting turn of events that happened very recently, as Bernie has just really exploded in the polls to where everyone said he never would get and got within striking distance, um, began to beat Hillary Clinton very regularly in the polling in New Hampshire. And then in Iowa, got within a very few percentage points and in some polls would be shown leading Clinton in Iowa. So what a difference this turn of events uh, made for the Clinton campaign. So last Monday, I believe it was, there was a pretty hastily uh, organized event shown on CNN with the Democratic candidates. This was not a debate per se. This was a forum. All three of the candidates were featured, but they were each featured independently. They took questions from Chris Cuomo, Cuomo and they took some questions from the audience. The audience questions were all screened ahead of time, and the moderators or CNN or whomever was uh, pulling the strings in the background um, determined which questions would be asked to which candidates. Um, most people who support Bernie saw the event as uh, quite slanted in favor of Hillary with some some softer questioning and uh, not so much follow-up for Hillary, but definitely more pointed questioning and follow-up and uh, almost harping at times on some of the facts in relation to Bernie that weren't uh, showing Bernie in necessarily the best light. But Bernie um, was, uh, as usual, uh, very well spoken, covered everything that he wanted to cover, and did it did a very good job. But the the interesting thing was how hastily this whole event was arranged and organized. It was only a matter of a few days between the time when it was announced and the time that it actually aired. And I have to think that the reason behind this. Uh, quickly organized event ahead of the Iowa caucuses is because Bernie had caught up to Hillary in the polling in much of the polling in Iowa. And she wanted another chance to put her best foot forward and another chance to see how she 
and or the mainstream, no, not the mainstream, I keep forgetting, the corporate media might uh, try to knock Bernie down and impact his results in the Iowa caucus. And what really reinforces that belief for me is in um, New Hampshire, MSNBC and the, I believe it is the local paper there. Let me see. Yeah, the New Hampshire Union Leader, the statewide newspaper in New Hampshire, which has an incredible history. Um, the original publishers, the Loeb's, uh, I believe it was William Loeb, and then after he passed away, his wife, Naki Loeb, were extreme right-wing supporters. These were your, I guess these were your uh, Reagan media owners, but I'm not even sure Reagan was conservative enough for the owners of the union leader. The op-ed page there, extraordinarily uh, right-wing. It really held sway for a long time over the politics in New Hampshire. There was a long time in New Hampshire where if you were a Democrat, you did not win an election. And it was partly because of the media and partly because of the union leader. Uh, New Hampshire's changed and evolved a lot since then, since uh, Naki Loeb passed away. And the paper has still still held on. I haven't actually you know, read that particular paper in a, quite a long time. I did live in New Hampshire for a number of years, but it's been quite a while since I have lived there and checked out the paper. I think that paper is is much, much more moderate than it was when it endorsed uh, Pat Buchanan and supported the likes of Pat Robertson for elections uh, when they were running in the past for the Republican nomination. Um, but that's all an aside. So the union leader, the modern in incarnation of the union leader, and MSNBC decided that New Hampshire needed another debate before the New Hampshire primary. So after the Iowa caucuses and before the New Hampshire primary, which is a week away now, MSNBC and the union leader got together and said, uh, let's have a debate. And they invited all of the candidates. Now, it's very, very well known that uh, the DNC is in charge of the debate schedule for the Democratic caucuses, sorry, not the Democratic caucuses, the Democratic nomination for president, the caucuses and the primaries as, as the candidates run. And they have said that anyone who takes part in a non-sanctioned debate would not be allowed to take part in any remaining sanctioned debates. So here's a couple of stories about what has transpired now that Clinton finds herself trailing in New Hampshire and even in Iowa, and how that has changed her position on Democratic debates and the Democratic debate schedule. This first piece is from NBCNews.com. Hillary Clinton called on Bernie Sanders to join a proposed Democratic debate next week in New Hampshire, 
telling MSNBC's Chris Matthews that she is, quote, anxious to make the debate happen. I'm sure she's anxious. She's trailing in some of the polls by 20 points in New Hampshire. Quote, I'm ready for the debate, and I hope Senator Sanders will change his mind and join us, she said in the interview, which was on the show Hardball. Quote, I think the DNC and the campaigns should be able to work this out. I've been for, you know, for a long time that I'd be happy to have more debates, that I hope we can get this done. Asked, asked if she wanted the Democratic National C Committee to sanction the debate, Clinton replied, quote, I would like the chairman of the parties and the campaigns to agree we can debate in New Hampshire next week. NBC and the New Hampshire Union Leader newspaper on Tuesday proposed sponsoring a debate February 4, which would fall outside of the original debate schedule sanctioned by the DNC. Clinton and Martin O'Malley, the third candidate in the race, quickly said they would be open to joining. But Sanders campaign manager Jeff Weaver said his candidate was not interested in an unsanctioned debate. Quote, the DNC has said it is not going to sanction any more debates until after February 9th. We look forward to working with the DNC and the other campaigns to schedule a series of debates to follow those currently scheduled. Our position will be that there should be at least three or four more, Weaver said. The Sanders campaign did not immediately respond to a request for comment Wednesday on Clinton's comments. The DNC sanctioned six debates and has drawn a hard line against adding any more to the schedule. Quote, we have no plans to sanction any further debates before the upcoming first in the nation caucuses and primary, DNC Chair Rep. Debbie Wasserman Schultz said. The DNC had no further comments. Roles have been reversed in the politics of the Democratic debates. Frontrunners typically prefer to limit the number of debates they participate in, and Clinton's campaign had sought to keep the schedule small. But in New Hampshire, Sanders is ahead in most polls and seems to have no desire to risk shaking up the race with a debate or giving Clinton a major platform to make his case in the days leading up to the critical primary. And that was the first story about the debates. And here's a follow-up story from BuzzFeed.com by Evan McMorris-Santoro and Ruby Kramer. The campaigns of the two major candidates for the Democratic nomination have agreed to hold four more debates should they be sanctioned, sources from both the Hillary Clinton and Bernie Sanders campaigns tell BuzzFeed News. The details where and when remain unresolved, and the Democratic National Committee has not yet agreed to the arrangement. Quote, once dates and cities are locked down, we are looking forward to four additional debates, a person close to the Sanders campaign told BuzzFeed News. A source close to the Clinton campaign confirmed that account, saying that aides in Brooklyn have agreed to what the Sanders campaign asked for earlier this week. So Sanders was really smart, knowing that one single additional debate ahead of New Hampshire would give Hillary Clinton another opportunity to get some broad exposure before that vote happens and would uh, potentially turn some voters her way. Certainly also always has a potential of turning some voters against her as well. But Hillary performs pretty well in the debates. Um, so it would certainly be favorable to her to have this additional debate 
ahead of the New Hampshire primaries. And But Sanders said he held back at first. He said it's unsanctioned. We're not going to join an unsanctioned debate. And But then he proposed, his campaign proposed, well, let's have three additional debates. So after this debate and after the other scheduled debates from you know, organized by the DNC, let's have three more debates. And so there's still uh, some back and forth, but basically this plan is moving forward. Both campaigns and O'Malley's campaign have agreed to it in principle. There have been some suggestions of different venues for those additional debates. Um, It looks at this point like there may well be a debate in Flint, Michigan, which is an excellent venue with the crisis that is happening there at this point in time. I'll have a little more about that in a couple stories. And Bernie Sanders has uh, recommended a debate in Brooklyn, which would be another uh, great location for a debate. Bernie is from Brooklyn. And Hillary Clinton's campaign headquarters is in Brooklyn. And then the third additional debate is looking like it will probably happen in Florida. So the DNC is still looking at these additional debates and determining whether it will sanction them. It wants to wait until after the voting tonight in Iowa after the caucus is uh, done and the votes are in before it takes the time to sit down with the campaigns and sort out the details and agree and or sanction any of those future debates. But um, some uh, additional debates being pushed by Hillary for at least that one additional debate, and then the Bernie Sanders campaign really pushing for additional debates beyond that and beyond the regular schedule. And the Martin O'Malley campaign has, from the start, um, been asking very regularly for additional debates. It's one of the few ways that Martin O'Malley is going to get in front of a large audience and be able to present his views and how he contrasts with the other candidates. In a story from HuffingtonPost.com, despite the fact that Bernie is running for president, he certainly, as I mentioned last time, is not ignoring his day job, and he is still having an impact with what he does while he is in the Senate. So this is from Zach Carter. Cable customers who are tired of paying through the nose to rent set-top boxes are about to see some serious savings thanks to a new proposal from the Federal Communications Commission. The new regulation would open up the set-top box market to consumer choice so the customers could rent or buy devices from providers other than their cable companies. About 99% of cable customers currently rent set-top boxes from their cable company. According to a survey commissioned by Senators Ed Markey, and Richard Blumenthal, cable customers pay an average of $232 a year for those rentals, a $20 billion market annually just for set-top box rentals. 
Up to $14 billion of the total market is economically pointless profit for cable companies, according to an analysis by the Consumer Federation of America and Public Knowledge, a nonprofit internet freedom group. Big cable companies, including Comcast and Verizon, have leveraged their market power to charge prices far higher than what would be permitted in a competitive industry. Cable companies and their lobbyists are furious about the plan, which the commission is set to vote on February 18th. But the proposal didn't emerge from a vacuum. Liberal senators have been pressuring the FCC to act on cable, quote, monopolies for months. In July, Democratic presidential hopeful Senator Bernie Sanders organized a letter calling on the agency to collect a host of consumer pricing information from cable companies, a move designed to show that in many regions of the country, households pay arbitrarily high prices due to lack of other cable options. Senators Elizabeth Warren, Al Franken, Markey, and Blumenthal all signed on to the letter. After Markey and Blumenthal did their Blumenthal did their own pricing survey in July, they organized another letter to the FCC in November, specifically targeting set-top boxes. Sanders, Warren, and Franken all signed on, as did, Senator, as did Senators Maria Cantwell, Cory Booker, and Ron Wyden. A lot of congressional work doesn't involve voting on legislation. Simply writing a letter to a regulatory agency can often influence policy. That pressure can both help and hurt big firms, even in a Democratic administration ostensibly committed to helping consumers. In recent years, financial regulators have repeatedly watered down key banking rules after being pressured by members of Congress. The Senate campaign against the FCC, however, had the opposite function, pushing the FCC to move on a policy that helps consumers save money by cutting into big corporate profits. And I mentioned uh, Flint, Michigan, and the crisis there, and also earlier um, read the endorsement from Michael Moore of Bernie Sanders' candidacy. And here's another piece from Michael Moore on the tragedy in Flint. Many of you have contacted me wanting to know how you can help people of the people of Flint with the two-year-long tragedy of drinking water contaminated by the radical decisions made by the governor of Michigan. The offer is much appreciated by those who are suffering through this and who have not drank a glass of unpoisoned water since April of 2014. Unfortunately, the honest answer to your offer of help is, sadly, you can't. You can't help. The reason you can't help is that you cannot reverse the irreversible brain damage that has been inflicted upon every single child in Flint. The damage is permanent. There is no medicine you can send, no doctor or scientist who has any way to undo the harm done to thousands of babies, toddlers, and children, not to mention their parents. They are ruined for life. and Someone needs to tell you the truth about that. They will forever suffer from various neurological impediments. Their IQs will be lowered by at least 20 points. They will not do as well in school. And by the time they reach adolescence, they will exhibit various behavioral problems that will land a number of them in trouble and some of them in jail. That is what we know about the history of lead poisoning when you inflict it upon a child. It is a life sentence. 
In Flint, they've already ingested it for these two years, and the toll has already been taken on their developing brains. No check you write, no truckloads of Fiji water or Poland Spring will bring their innocence or their health back to normal. It's done. And it was done knowingly, enacted by a political decision from a governor and a political party charged by the majority of Michigan citizens who elected them to cut taxes for the rich, take over the majority black cities by replacing the elected mayors and city councils, cut costs, cut services, cut more taxes for the rich, increase taxes on retired teachers and public employees, and ultimately try to decimate their one line of defense against all of this, this thing we used to call a union. The amount of generosity since the national media finally started to cover this story has been tremendous. Pearl Jam sent 100,000 bottles of water. The next day, the Detroit Lions showed up with a truck and 100,000 bottles of water. Yesterday, Puff Daddy and Mark Wahlberg donated 1 million bottles of water. Unbelievably amazing. They acknowledged it is a very short-term fix, and that it is. Flint has 102,000 residents, each in need of an average of 50 gallons of water a day for cooking, bathing, washing clothes, doing the dishes, and drinking. But 100,000 bottles of water is enough for just one bottle per person. In other words, just enough to cover brushing one's teeth for one day. You would have to send 200 bottles a day per person to cover what the average American we are Americans in Flint, needs each day. That's 102,000 citizens times 200 bottles of water, which equals 20.4 million 16-ounce bottles of water per day, every day, for the next year or two until this problem is fixed. Oh, and we'll need to find a landfill in Flint big enough for all those hundreds of millions of plastic water bottles thus degrading the local environment even further. Anybody want to pony up for that? Because that is a reality. This is a catastrophe of unimaginable proportions. There is not a terrorist organization on earth that has yet to figure out how to poison 100,000 people every day for two years and get away with it. That took a governor who subscribes to an American political ideology ideology hell-bent on widening the income inequality gap and conducting various versions of voter and electoral suppression against people of color and the poor. It was those actions that led Michigan's Republican governor to try out his economic and racial experiment in Flint. And please don't tell me this has nothing to do with race or class. He has removed the mayors of a number of black cities. This and the water crisis in Flint never would have been visited upon residents of Bloomfield Hills or Gross Point, and everyone here knows that. We've now seen the ultimate disastrous consequences of late 20th century neoconservative trickle-down public policy. That word trickle, a water-based metaphor, was used to justify this economic theory. Well, it's no longer a metaphor, is it? Because now... We're talking about how actual water has been used to institute these twisted economic beliefs in destroying the lives of the black and the poor in Flint, Michigan. 
So do you still want to help? Really help. Because what we need in Flint and across the country right now, tonight, is a nonviolent army of people who are willing to stand up for this nation and go to bat for the forgotten of Flint. Here's what you and I need to do. Demand the removal and arrest of Rick Snyder, the governor of Michigan. When the police have an active shooter situation in a building, they must first stop the shooter before they can bring aid to the victims. The perp who allowed the poisoning to continue once he knew something was wrong, and his minions who cooked the evidence so the public and the feds wouldn't find out, must be removed from office ASAP. Whether it's via resignation, recall, or prosecution, this must happen now, because he is still refusing to take aggressive immediate action needed. His office as recently as this past Thursday was claiming the EPA had no legal authority to tell him what to do. You know, the EPA, that federal agency every Republican politician wants eliminated. Governor Snyder is not going to obey the law. He has covered up the crime, and I submit he has committed an act of voluntary or involuntary manslaughter. Last month, I posted a meme of me holding a pair of handcuffs with the hashtag, Arrest Governor Snyder. Make the state of Michigan pay for the disaster that the state of Michigan created. The governor wants the president to declare Flint a federal disaster zone and have him send federal money to fix the problem. Not so fast. All relief aid for Flint currently coming from the federal government to Michigan is going through the governor's office to disperse. That is literally paying the fox to fix the chicken coop he destroyed. As a Michigan resident and voter, I think that the people who elected Governor Snyder must show some of that personal responsibility they're always lecturing about to the poor. The majority of my fellow Michiganders wanted this kind of government. They elected him twice. So now they should have to pay for it. This year, the state's treasury posted nearly a $600 million surplus. There's also another $600 million in the state's rainy day fund. That's $1.2 billion, just about what Flint's congressman, Dan Kildee, estimates what it will cost to replace the water infrastructure and care for the thousands of poisoned children through their growing years. The federal government must then be placed in charge. The state government cannot be trusted to get this right. So instead of declaring federal disaster zone, President Obama must declare the same version of martial law that Governor Snyder declared over the cities of Flint and Detroit. He must step in and appoint a federal emergency manager in the state capitol to direct the resources of both the state and federal government in saving Flint. Evacuate any and all Flint residents who want to leave now. They've suffered long enough, and until the water is truly safe, no one should have to stay there who doesn't want to. The state and FEMA should move people into nearby white townships that are still hooked up to Lake Huron water. For those who choose to stay in Flint, FEMA must create a temporary water system in each home. One idea that's been suggested is to deliver two 55-gallon drums to every home in Flint. Each day, water trucks will arrive to fill them with fresh, clean glacial water from Lake Huron. The drums will have taps attached to them. People can't be expected to carry jugs of water from buildings that are miles away. In the end, we will need to create a new economy and bring new employment to this town that created the middle class, that elected the first black mayor, and that believed in and created the American dream. They deserved more than to be poisoned by their own governor. 
a governor who thought that because he because the people in the town were politically weak, he could get away with this unnoticed and without a fight. He figured wrong. A crime against humanity has been committed against the people of Flint, making them refugees in their own homes. Tell me, honestly, if you were living in Flint right now and you learned that your children had been drinking lead-filled water for two years, and then you discovered that the governor knew this and the state lied about it, tell me, just how fast would your head be spinning? With your children now poisoned and with the poisoning continuing, is the word quote-unquote non-violence dominating your thoughts right now? Are you absolutely stunningly amazed how peaceful the people in Flint have remained? Are you curious how much longer that can last? I hope it does. We deserve much better than this. And at the time that I took a look at this story the other day, the petition to arrest Governor Snyder had 438,748 signatures. And the candidates have weighed in in different ways on the tragedy in Flint. And this piece is from HuffingtonPost.com by Sam Levine. Senator Bernie Sanders called for the resignation of Governor Rick Snyder on Saturday for the state's lead in the Flint water supply crisis. In 2014, the state switched the city's water source to the Flint River to save money, and residents began to complain about the quality of tap water. Michigan officials insisted it was safe to drink, even though an internal memo at the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services warned that lead poisoning rates were higher than usual for children under 16. The state continued to say the water was safe until a Flint pediatrician reported in September that there was an unusually high level of lead in Flint children. Lead is an extremely dangerous neurotoxin and can cause children to suffer brain damage. The governor apologized for the incident, activated the National Guard, called for President Barack Obama to declare an emergency, and accepted the resignation of the head of the state's Department of Environmental Quality. Obama declared a state of emergency on Saturday. But Sanders, who is seeking the Democratic nomination for president, said on Saturday that an apology wasn't enough. Quote, there are no excuses. The governor long ago knew about the lead in Flint's water. He did nothing. As a result, hundreds of children were poisoned. Thousands may have been exposed to potential brain damage from lead. Governor Snyder should resign, he said in a statement. Quote, because of the conduct by Governor Snyder's administration and his refusal to take responsibility, families will suffer from lead poisoning for the rest of their lives. Children in Flint will be plagued with brain damage and other health problems. The people of Flint deserve more than an apology. Sanders' main rival for the Democratic presidential nomination, Hillary Clinton, has also called for an explanation of what Snyder's administration knew and said that the situation was, quote, unconscionable. The former Secretary of State also called on Michigan to pay for water purchases from Detroit for Flint residents until their water is safe again. 
Clinton also sent Amanda Renteria, her national political director, and Mike Schmidt, a policy advisor, to Flint this week to meet with Flint Mayor Karen Weaver about the situation. David Murray, a Snyder spokesman, said that the governor didn't become aware of the blood-lead issue until October 1 and that Sanders' demands didn't contribute to solving the water issue now. It certainly would contribute by uh, removing him, person who was involved when the uh, catastrophe was laid out, would certainly be a step towards a solution. If if another entity besides the government of the state had done this, if a private individual, if a terrorist had poisoned hundreds of thousands of people over two years' time, uh, the Republicans would be calling for the death penalty, um, you know, w- without exception. In a story from the Washington Post.com by Jean Marks, why would a sane business person vote for Bernie Sanders? Here's why. Once, a few years ago, I was on a flight from New York to Chicago when lightning struck the cockpit, knocking both pilots unconscious and severing communications with the ground. You can imagine the scene. It was pandemonium. The plane began to tailspin. People were screaming. Bags were flying. Without thinking, I bravely flung myself to the front of the plane. With a superhuman adrenaline rush, I broke down the steel-reinforced doors with my own bare hands, moved the pilots aside, and managed to take controls of the plane. Even though I had absolutely no experience flying a jetliner and no one to guide me, I managed to land that 737 safely at O'Hare through a storm, saving the lives of all 237 people on board and taxiing to the gate in time for everyone to make their connecting flights. That was one tough task, even if it were true. And it's not. But today, I'm going to do something even tougher. I'm going to try to give you a sane and reasonable business person Not one, not two, but three reasons why you may vote for Bernie Sanders. Reason number one, Sanders wants to spend a ton of money on infrastructure. His proposed Rebuild America plan would spend more than $1 trillion and employ 13 million people to rebuild the country's roads, bridges, seaports, airports, electrical and broadband systems, and other key infrastructure. It would be paid for by increased corporate taxes, particularly on those devils who now legally shelter their profits through overseas companies. Your opinions on corporate America notwithstanding, let's agree that a solid infrastructure is at the heart of every good economy for quick transport of goods, people, and communications, and that it's the government's job to provide this. And let's agree that America's infrastructure is seriously failing, seriously falling apart. You want to expand your business and make commerce as easy as possible. You need a sound infrastructure to do this. Reason number two, he supports a single-payer health care system. My wife, who is from the UK, could never understand why businesses in this country are involved in their employees' health care. And she's right. The UK health system has serious problems, but so does ours. Maybe, just maybe, a single-payer system can work better than our current broken one 
and more so than this Obamacare mess. If implemented right, it could take all your company's healthcare problems out of your hands. Not surprisingly, Sanders' plan would require more taxes on businesses and individuals. You cry, have you lost your mind? But wait, maybe this could still be less expensive than the high premiums and administrative and overhead costs you're incurring for health care right now, not to mention a little headache relief. The government built the Hoover Dam. I saw it. It's awesome. Could it not build a working single-payer health care system too? Reason number three, he wants to make college tuition free. Sanders believes that the government should fund tuition at public universities for anyone who wants to go. He also wants to reduce student debts, which has proven to be a huge barrier to someone who wants to start up a business. This plan would cost $75 billion a year and be funded through increased taxes on those evil Wall Street speculators. He also wants to invest $5.5 billion in a youth jobs program. Okay, you say, he's not really addressing the bloated university budgets that are filled with high-paid educators, many who have tenured jobs for life, get the summers off, and enjoy health care and pension benefits you can only dream of. I admit, a small oversight, but there are more than 5 million unfilled jobs in this country, many due to the lack of a skilled workforce. Small companies like mine and yours can't afford to train them. Maybe it's to our benefit that the government provides more people with skills so that we can give them jobs and also profit ourselves. Have I convinced you? Have I made a business person's case for Bernie Sanders? Would admitting that he's a well-liked guy and way, way more genuine and honest in his beliefs than most of the other presidential candidates? Sure, he's a socialist, but you can't deny he's a cuddly one. And sure, his election could very well be the worst thing that ever happened to the U.S. economy since Walter White died. But, as I hope I've explained, he may not be as bad for your business as you think. And this next story from usuncut.com by Tom Cahill. The company that helped legalize marriage equality across the country has come out strongly for Bernie Sanders. Kentuckian Timothy Love and his partner Lawrence Yusunza were finally able to marry after being together for 35 years when the U.S. Supreme Court required all states to allow LGBTQ couples to have legal marriage rights and to recognize existing same-sex marriages last year. But even though the Human Rights Campaign, the leading advocacy organization for LGBTQ rights, endorsed Hillary Clinton in the 2016 Democratic presidential primary, love and other marriage equality advocates are feeling the burn. This is especially significant considering that they voted for Bill Clinton in both 1992 and 1996. Quote, Larry and I had worked for many hours as volunteers in the Clinton campaign, starting with the primary in 1992 through Election Day, Love wrote in a Facebook post. Quote, Although we do support the mission of the human rights campaign, our long experience and our hearts lead us in another direction. Love isn't the only prominent LGBT activist to endorse Bernie Sanders' campaign. The Kentucky couple, couple's suing Rowan County clerk Kim Davis over her interference with the issuing of marriage licenses, 
for both LGBT and straight couples in the wake of the SCOTUS decision are also publicly aligning with Bernie Sanders. David Moore, who was initially denied a marriage license by Davis, told U.S. Uncut that Bernie Sanders has been the most consistent on LGBTQ issues even before it was politically safe to do so. With Bernie, what you see is what you get, Moore said. Even going back to the 70s, he was supportive. He's been consistent over the years. He marched in Burlington's first Pride Parade. He's been for us way before any of the other states had gay marriage. And that will wrap up this episode of Bernie 2016. Um, I hope uh, when you hear this, in addition to enjoying the caucus results I've provided and the other stories that I've covered for you this week, you will be celebrating a huge victory by Bernie Sanders in the actual official Iowa caucuses, and we'll be looking forward to a repeat of that huge victory in the New Hampshire primaries. Once uh, Bernie knocks those two down, it is on to Nevada and South Carolina with some real momentum. So as we go out tonight, we will hear Feel the Burn by Tim Hunter. Look for that on YouTube by searching for Tim Hunter and feel the burn. If you want to reach out to me, send me a message at BernieUS2016 at gmail.com or check out my website at Bernie-2016.com. Thanks for listening. this journey and i'll tell you the reason why he's one politician you can't buy once upon a time this former mayor of burlington not quite as commonly as the model christy turlington but a lovelier politician you could not find with a rock and chalk of hair and a beautiful mind and a beautiful heart and a beautiful plan to bring us together save this earth and land fight the greedy one percent Share the wealth and give us universal health. Feel the burn, we're voting for Bernie. Feel the burn, he's taking this journey. If you're tired of cowering, acting like a mouse, join the Bernie journey, churning straight to the White House. Now feel the burn, we're voting for Bernie. Get our democracy off of this journey. the Iraq war for 50 years he's been a socialist cause just like Clint Paul he's always willing to assist against the Patriot Act the XL pipeline crap in 
in favor of bringing last legal back against Citizen United, the death penalty. Edward Snowden deserves clemency. So feel the burn. We're voting for Bernie. Feel the burn. He's taking this journey. If you're tired of cowering, acting like a mouse, join the Bernie journey, turning straight to the White House. And feel the burn. We're voting for Bernie. Get our democracy off of this journey. And I'll tell you the reason why he's the only one on our side. There are some who say he cannot get elected. There were some who said the pyramids could not get erected. To the doubters and the haters we say, So he's drawing 30 grand in each amphitheater. And he's drawing the old, and he's wowing the youth. And the middle class too, because he's speaking the truth. Right on every issue, right on every chance. Get elected and we have a chance.